Picture the scene. It's a sunny day and you're on top of a hill in the middle of the Italian countryside. And there's a girl. And she starts to sing. To buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow and then the camera pulls back and you can see even more people and they're all singing. And then the camera pulls back even more and you can see even more people and they're all singing as well. And then you go to a helicopter shot and there's absolutely loads of them. And then words slowly scroll up the screen telling the audience about how all these people were brought from all over the world to tell you that what's inside the bottles that they've all been drinking from is the real thing. Sounds like a great idea for an advert, doesn't it? Coca-Cola's had some pretty legendary adverts. That song's a classic that you've almost certainly heard before, and who can forget those trucks that appear literally every Christmas? But this week's episode isn't about those. This week's episode is all about a woman. A woman called Suzanne Sharney who fought really hard to create a tiny little part of some of Coca-Cola's most legendary campaigns. Because you might not realise it, but these little bubbles... were completely made by hand. They weren't a recording that someone got by sticking a microphone next to a bottle while it was opened. They were painstakingly created using the knobs and levers of a big, old-fashioned, old-school, early synthesizer. I'm Jack Dearlove, and this week on Anecdote, the story of how those bubbles were made, what led to them being a part of Coca-Cola's adverts throughout the 70s, and how they launched the career of one of the pioneers of electronic music. Oh, and if you can get through this episode without needing to run to the shop and buy a can of the particular beverage you were going to mention quite a lot, you're a stronger-willed person than I am. The story of how those bubbles became a thing starts when Suzanne fell in love with a machine. You know the Buchla, right? Now, by today's standards, the Buchla is a bit of a beast. Um, it's sort of shaped like a big laptop, uh, but it has like loads of wires and plugs kind of all over it. It's a modular system, so you would choose the modules that you wanted. Each module had a special function. There might be an oscillator to generate sound, a filter to modulate sound, a gate and an envelope generator to, you know, apply an envelope shape to the sound. It was designed by a guy called Don Buchler, and it could make all sorts of crazy sounds. And my favorite module was called the Multiple Arbitrary Function Generator, or the MARF. That was a very, very high-powered central control unit. I would say that it kind of gave you the ability to do three-dimensional sequencing. 
you could sequence sequences. Unlike some devices at the time, the Buchler was designed to be more of a performance instrument, so it was actually relatively portable. And there's nothing like it, and there, there was nothing like it then, and there's nothing like it now. So after mastering her machine, Suzanne started travelling for gigs. What happened was that the minute I got off the plane in New York City on April Fool's Day, 1974, I felt the energy of that city. And I knew that I was not going to be going back to L.A. Pretty quickly, I started to starve. You know, New York is a big city. So I, what I did was I, I knew that I could make money doing commercials. And so I got hold of a book called The Red Book, which listed all the advertising agencies. And I picked the 20 biggest ones. And I started calling them. And of course, nobody had ever heard of the Buchla. Now at the time, Coca-Cola was going from strength to strength. They'd managed to steal a guy called Billy Davis away from O-Town, and he was responsible for hits like I Want to Teach the World to Sing. And he even managed to get Aretha Franklin to do an advert for the company, which I have to say, I've watched a lot of these ads while I've been recording this piece, and I find this one particularly misplaced. Aretha Franklin drinks Coke after Coke. Regardless of his success, though, he hadn't met Suzanne, and it wasn't for lack of trying on her part. I called Billy for over a year, and I had, you know, several appointments scheduled, and he never showed up. And finally, I was just uh, angry. You know, I went to I went to the agency. I had an appointment, and he wasn't there again. And I said, "Where is he?" And they said, "Well, he's in the studio." I said, "Where is the studio?" And they gave me an address in Times Square. And I went to the studio in Times Square. I marched into the studio, and I said, "Where is Billy Davis?" And I went into the control room. I just barged into the control room. Remember, this is one of the most powerful advertising men in the world. And I looked at him and I said, you had an appointment with me. And he looked at me like I was from outer space. It's like, well, who do you think you are? He could have chucked her out. He could have called the police. But he didn't. He listened to her. You know, I don't remember all the details, but I remember that this this very amazing coincidence because it, they were working on a Coca-Cola jingle and there was a space, a little blank space in the jingle. 
And, you know, I was telling him that I did sounds, you know, special sounds and, and unusual things. And he looked at me and he said, well, can you do something in that space? And I said, yes. Uh, he said, well, what do you need? I said, well, I need my bukla. And he said, well, go get it. Billy Davis, who had never seen, you know, nobody had ever seen this machine. But he had this sixth sense about, you know, what we might be able to do. It was a very frustrating session because, you know, there was no memory in this analog system. And we would be working along, I would be, you know, doing my thing. And, and he would say, go back, go back about five minutes ago. You know, I like that. I said, well, I can't. I don't know where we're five minutes going. So she's there. She's made it. She's actually in the room working on an advert for one of the biggest companies in the world. And it's at that point that Suzanne does something really clever. They said can you do something in this space? And I said, do you mean just this one commercial, you know, which was in the key of E, you know, do I want to make a sound that is pitch centric so that it works only in this one spot? And my brain said to me, make something that can fit in any place. And that's exactly what she did. The reason Coca-Cola's Pop and Pour turned up in so many adverts after that was because of that thought. And Suzanne did very well out of it. And it was used in every single Coke commercial. For me, this was a defining you know, moment because I made a lot of money. And I give Billy Davis, you know, a lot of credit for being open to, you know, to this new possibility because it took vision. Sound design hadn't been defined at that point. You know, this is what, 1975, 76? People, they had this concept of sound effects, but these were not sound effects. This was not the sound of a Coca-Cola bottle opening because the reality was always disappointing you know that if, if you needed the sound of a crunching potato chip if you recorded it it didn't sound like anything think of all this next time you're watching an advert how many of those sounds are real This episode of Anecdote was produced by me, Jack Dearlove. You can find me on Twitter, I'm at Jack Dearlove. I'd like to thank Suzanne for taking the time to chat to me. And I'd really like to thank Terry Winston from the Women's Audio Mission for putting me in touch with her. You can find a link to their work, as well as some videos of some of the adverts that include Coca-Cola's Pop and Pour, and a link to what Suzanne is up to now at anecdote.fm. 
All of the music I've used is from the awesome Poddington Bear, licensed under Creative Commons. You can find a link to his work on the website as well. And if you've liked what you've heard, tell a friend. And maybe leave a review on iTunes if you're feeling particularly generous. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another story you probably haven't heard before.